Proverbs 24 is where we are, and um, we made it down last week through verse 22. And so this week we'll pick it up in verse 23 and continue our journey as it seems like, particularly in the first service, that the Holy Spirit is showing us some things that we as a congregation need to be mindful of based upon the times that we're in and based upon what I'm hearing uh, throughout the, converse, uh, the con- uh, congregation as far as the various teachings and things that are going on. And I'll explain as we get in there. Let's look at it with me. Proverbs 24, 23. If you're there, please say amen. amen. These things also belong to the wise. It is not good to show partiality in judgment. He who says to the wicked, you are righteous. Him, the people will curse. Nations will abhor him. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight and a good blessing will come upon them. He who gives a right answer kisses the lips. Prepare your outside work. Make it fit for yourself in the field and afterward build your house. Do not be a witness against your neighbor without cause for what you deceive your, with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him just as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. I went by the field, verses 30 through 34, interesting. I went by the field of a lazy man and by the vineyard of a man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. And so, Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, for the text that you've put before us. Lord God, we love you for giving it to us. It is God breathed, it says, and you have poured your spirit out upon men who have written this, Lord, that we may feast upon it and grow by it. And so, Lord, I I pray that you would remove anything that would hinder uh, us from being able to do that this morning, Lord God, whether it's the cares of this life, the burdens of this world, the distractions, even in the room, uh, Lord, anything that would hinder us, even the work of the enemy, that you would push him far back and set a perimeter, that we would have this free moment at the beginning of this week to sit and listen and hear your word, to feast upon it, to be washed by it and to be changed. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we begin this section of scripture, a very good section of scripture, notice how it begins right off the bat, verse 23, these things also belong to the wise. And it's kind of a a section heading, if you will, that's put there by by the writer. Um, And it's because Solomon wrote over 3,000 Proverbs, and all of them weren't published at the same time, if you will. Some of them were maybe his private memoirs that he didn't mean to actually publish, um, but then they got added in. Like, for instance, if you look ahead in chapter 25, verse 1, where it says, These also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. And so Hezekiah became king. He began to start reform. People began to turn their heart back to the word of God. And he and his men discovered in the archives some of Solomon's proverbs, if you will, that were never actually published. And they added them in under the unction we know of the Holy Spirit because they were so good. Solomon probably thought these are just my little personal things. I don't necessarily want to share. 
And I'm very mindful even when I'm journaling that one day, if the lesser Lord comes, I won't be here. Somebody's going to read that journal. So I'm careful what I'm writing these days. And I'm like, hey, somebody might read this page. Let me make sure I got something in here good, you know. <laughs> you never know how it's going to work out. But that's what's happening. So it's kind of a section break, if you will, as we go into this, these, 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 this next section. And it's interesting some of the things that we begin to see the Holy Spirit move upon Solomon to write and how we get to glean from them and apply them today in our lives. It's amazing. Proverbs speaks to everything you can't escape. If you want to hide from God, you can't. Everywhere you go, he sees you. That's what the scripture says. And if you open up the word, it's going to shine a spotlight in the places you don't want to light. But it's a good thing for us because he's going to work some things out. Amen? Amen? All right. So that's kind of the section heading. So the next part of the verse is where you start to get into the meat. It says, it is not good to show partiality in judgment. And as I got here, I realized, uh-oh, the Holy Spirit's trying to speak to our congregation in a special way. I say that because I think Davon just taught on partiality in James on Wednesday night. And then I had to teach on James yesterday at a men's conference in, in, in Lynchburg. And, and, and then now I'm here looking at this and this same thing comes out in the Old Testament. And so in some way, uh, the Holy Spirit is trying to get a word to us. That happens sometimes. I've learned through the years as a disciple that the Holy Spirit speaks. In fact, Paul says he testifies. Anybody know the Holy Spirit testifies? If there's a testimony service, he's going to testify too. How do I know? Paul said, well, I don't know what's going to happen to me in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 20. He said, all I know is that everywhere I go in every city, the Holy Spirit testifies that change await, chains await me. Y'all remember that? Next chapter, Agabus prophesies that Paul's going to get chained when he gets to Jerusalem. Paul's like, the Holy Spirit has already been telling me, so this is just confirmation. And sometimes he's speaking very loudly, and he repeats himself through conversations, when you get in the Word, when you turn on the radio to the Christian station where, the, where somebody's preaching the Bible. You know, you can't escape what he's trying to say to you. So our congregation needs to hear this because he's trying to do something. I don't know why exactly, what specifically it's for, who specifically it's for, but we need to hear it. Notice he says here in the verse again, it is not good to show partiality. Now, the word actually means to recognize faces. And what do you mean, Pastor Kevin? Well, it means to recognize it then to acknowledge even or to know or to respect or even to discern. In other words, he's, he's like, we shouldn't even be figuring out the differences according to the worldly standards of people in our midst. Because the more we do that, the more we begin to creep into sin. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. It's very natural for us as human beings to kind of identify with or relate to people who may be kind of like us. And so maybe you walk into a place and you see someone and, and they look like someone that would be from your neighborhood, you know, and you want to relate to that person, you know, and, and that's, that's an interesting thing. And look, I'll just be real with you. In my life, often I've been the only African-American in the room in a lot of situations that God has put me in because stuff that I've done. And it's very easy sometimes to begin to look and to identify with somebody and say, hey, there go a brother over there. Let me go. <laughs> so we get, you know, we do that kind of stuff. But here's the thing, though. Here's the thing that you got to know and understand. Stay with me. Don't nobody get offended. Often what you find is the person you think you might be able to relate to blows you off. And the person that you would never, the dude with the cowboy hat on and the big belt that I would never, 
ends up being like the best buddy in the whole situation. I mean, like, how did God, how do you work this out? And God begins to teach you things sometimes through that process. Now, stay with me. I was just trying to get you to relax. He says here, look, don't be somebody that recognizes faces, acknowledges them, and pays respect to some over others. Now, here's the thing. Old Testament and New Testament, the Holy Spirit is testifying of the same thing. He started with Moses and the law. I got to take you through these verses. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 15, Moses says, in the law, you shall do no injustice in judgment. Here's what he means. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. Now, if you catch that, he said you shouldn't, you shouldn't be partial to the poor. Well, we have sympathy for the poor because they're poor. They're going through something. So often in society, it's kind of cool to try to help the poor and ignore the rich. And he's saying, no, for the believer, you don't need to be partial to either. Y'all catch that? The rich or the poor. In righteousness, you should judge. In other words, the Holy Spirit is screaming, no, 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 no. You're viewing people in situations through a human means when you do that, but we are the people of God. In fact, the Bible says we even have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I believe it is. We have the mind of Christ. We have the Spirit of God in us. We are to view people differently than the way the world? Absolutely. This becomes difficult. Look at Deuteronomy 1.17. Deuteronomy says, you shall not show partiality in judgment. That's being repeated. I always tell you when the Holy Spirit is repeating stuff, we got to pay attention to it. He says, you shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid in any man's presence. This is something that we've been seeing. Remember uh, back in a few chapters ago when we were talking about marketplace ministry and, and Proverbs says that we shouldn't be impressed with people. Y'all remember that? Yeah, he says, because we're, we're, look, our God is the creator of the universe and everything beyond anything you can imagine so we shouldn't be impressed with human beings when, we, when we've got that kind of God. Everybody understand? So he says here, don't show partiality um, and, he, and not even be afraid of, of any man's presence. In other words, we as, as God's kids, as believers born again, his spirit invested in us, the word given to us, we're not, not only we're, are we not to show differences in people based upon their earthly status or their appearance, we ain't even supposed to be afraid of them. The Bible says that the fear of man brings a snare and not even impressed. Y'all catch this balanced way of walking that the book of Proverbs is speaking to us about? Y'all starting to catch it? So he goes on to say, um, you know, don't be afraid of any man's presence for the judgment is God's. The case that is too hard for you, he even says, bring to me and I will hear it. I love that. Jesus says, John 7, 24, do not judge according to appearance but judge with righteous judgment. Don't judge according to appearance. No, because we, our estimate, estimate of people is often wrong. Now, he's not saying don't use discernment, don't use wisdom, don't like, you know, try to uh, figure out what's going on and who you're dealing with. Absolutely, those things are important, but we're not to make determinations about them based upon the way they appear, based upon our ability to view things. James says it this way. I think y'all covered it on Wednesday nights. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ 
the Lord of glory with partiality. Man. For if there should come in to your assembly a man with gold rings, fine apparel, and there should come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say, hey, you sit here in this good place. And then the poor man, you say, well, you stand over there and, and, and you know, or, or sit by my footstool. He goes on to say, you're basically in sin at that moment. And it's amazing because the reality is, listen, the reality is we all do this to some degree in some way and in some situation. And the Bible is screaming to us from the beginning to the end that we, the people of God, have to learn to, to uh, temper ourselves in that. And, and somehow you have to train yourself to do that. You have to say, well, Lord, help me. Show me when I'm doing this. Lord, point out to me the next time that I make a determination based up, between people based upon how one man looks over the way another man looks or, or, or so forth and so on. Lord, that I not be that way. You know, there's so many times when, I, when, when God is showing me this and then he shows me how he wants to work something out in my life through the person I didn't expect. Or then he sends me to be a blessing to the person that, that I didn't expect. And then I, I prejudge and I have to repent. And I'm like, that's so sinful. And the thing is that we need to begin to understand, too, here in our congregation as, as we're growing. And I think the Holy Spirit needs us to understand is that we can't afford to do that in any way. And here in, in, in leadership, we can't afford to be that way towards those of you who are coming in. Let me help you understand it this way. I think a lot of people don't, don't get it. When this church started, God took a man who had no seminary degree, just loved Jesus, liked teaching kids the Bible, and loving God's people, and, and, and using them to plant a church. And then the, the, then the men that he surrounded me with that ended up being in leadership, half of them either had been to prison or the other half should have been at some point. <laughs> they had smoked so many drugs in their BC days, they couldn't even read. Yet they, they, they got saved, got filled with the Holy Spirit, started reading the Bible, got their brains washed and rewired. And then now they're amazing guys you wouldn't even believe, you know. And then he's, and he's kept building on this thing and building on this thing and building on this thing. So, you know, when you come in and you think, you know, because I've had this a lot of times. I've had guys with PhDs and they, they actually think I'm going to be impressed with that. Man, you spent a lot of money to get that paper. That's what I say. <laughs> man, I'm like, man, how much that cost? Whoa, I would put that on my wall too, you know. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a PhD at all. Nothing wrong with it. But what, what we got to understand is, no, 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 no. What, what a tr and I'm getting ahead of myself, is that we're not called to be partial. We're called to love each other. We're called to teach the word. God, we've been teaching the word, teaching the word, teaching the word. I'll get back into that in a moment. So the, the, the bottom line is we are all equal in God's eyes. This is what we got to understand. Man, in our sinfulness, we begin to, to divide people up, if you think about it. We begin to create these, these you know, well, this person's more important than that person in our mind. The reality is, no, though, we're all on the same level and of equal importance to the Lord. Isn't that true? And so we have to make sure we understand that. Because how can we be an impactful church in a town and have any level of partiality in us at all? We can't be. We can't be that church. Heck, there's nine churches in, in a mile radius of us. And they're all segregated by race. So you're all sh already showing partiality. Okay? We can't be like that. And, 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 and be, we have to continue in the way that we've begun. 
to stay in love with Jesus and then loving one another as we study the scripture together. And so this thing which is repeated over and over and over and over through scripture, this is a very important thing, you know, and everybody, everyone is equal to the person who, none of it matters. When we have our leadership time together, we always say in the ministry time together, we do ministry chapels. When we get into the new building, we'll be doing ministry chapels there for the people who serve because they will miss the service. If, if Lord willing, we can do one service. And what happens is I always remind them that we are the same and of equal importance from the parking lot attendant to the pulpit. Nobody is more important than the other. Can you imagine that? How can that be? What well, isn't what you do, Pastor Kevin, more important than the guy who's parking cars? Well, well, not if he causes you to get an accident and then you get in here and you can't understand what I'm saying because you're mad. Or you don't even get to come in because you're now calling uh, 911 to deal with your car and you missed the whole teaching. My teaching don't mean nothing if the parking lot guy don't get you in here and the greeter don't smile at you. You know, and the, and, the, and the person don't take your kids in and make sure that they're okay so mama can actually come over here and focus for 40 minutes without a number going on the screen. None of it works. And if the, and if the guy, the usher, I mean, if he, you know, you get in an argument with your usher about the seat and all, and all this stuff is so much going on. And then the elders praying for you so that your car don't break down so you can actually get here or you and your spouse don't get in a fight. So we're praying before all of it begins. Yeah, it's all the same. That's the way we view it. For those who show up, we view it that way. We say, hey, man, we're all the same. We need to get here, settle our little butts down and check our little pride and serve Jesus and love one another. Otherwise, otherwise, what we were excited about moving to a new building and stuff like that. If we don't do this right, we're going to miss something. So the Holy Spirit is saying this over and over and over, even right here at Calvary Chapel of Clayton. Now, as we continue... So he says we can't have partiality. Then he goes on with this, this thought here. He says, he who says to the wicked, you are righteous. Now he's even still speaking of partiality. He's speaking of a compromise on the inside. Because the wicked have something that you might be able to obtain from them. They're important. They mean something in your, in your estimation. So you know they're wicked, but you're going to call them righteous anyway. It's like a politician trying to get you to vote for them. They're corrupt. Because they'll compromise to get your vote. Well, you don't care nothing about me if you compromise to get, get my vote. You, you'll, you won't even stand for nothing if I vote for you. I won't vote for you. I can't do it. I remember when John Kerry, I think his name was, was running for president. And they were talking about, uh, you know, what is it, either same-sex marriage or abort, something like that. And I was listening to the guy. He would say something over here. Then he would say something over there. And something over here. And whatever was sounded right at the moment. I, I was just watching the guy. I was like, man, this is why I don't like politicians. They won't stand for anything. So he says, he who says to the wicked, you are righteous, him the people will curse. Even nations, the whole community would abhor him. Now, I know it's hard for us to swallow this verse because it seems like these people succeed in our time. But that's one reason our time is very deceptive. And the word of God is true. And it's going to work out in this direction because God says, so in verse 25 says, but those who rebuke the wicked will have delight and have a good blessing, excuse me, and a good blessing will come upon him. In other words, those of us, because Solomon is trying to exhort his own children. And sometimes we can't worry about what it appears the world is doing. We, the people of God, are supposed to speak the truth. And we're supposed to call it what it is according to the word of God. 
So if the, if, if, if the word of God describes it this way and this is the way it's heading, that's what it is. So wickedness is wickedness. And we can't change that because it offends people, even though our intent is not to offend people. Does that make sense? We're not, we're not going to compromise so that we don't offend people. At the same time, we're not seeking to offend people. We're just seeking to speak the truth in love. In verse 26, I'm trying to get to 27, but verse 26, very simple. It says, he who gives a right answer kisses the lips. And I'm trying to bring it up to make it applicable to us because when we read that verse, it doesn't make sense. Um, even in New Testament, Paul would say, greet one another with a holy kiss. Well, that doesn't even make sense because if you come in here greeting people with kisses, somebody's going to knock you out. It's just the way it is. <laughs> you know, you're going to come in here kissing folks and it, it, it's just not going to work out for you, you know, unless you really know them. Now, I get kisses. A lot of the older mother, ladies of my, who are old enough to be my mother, I get plenty of those kisses here on Sunday morning and they are a blessing. I get them forehead and everywhere, you know, <laughs> wet, wet kisses from mamas. Thank you. It blesses me. I appreciate it. Um, but that's what he's saying. He, he's comparing it because back then, very hospitable, they would greet each other with kisses all the time. Men would even kiss, kiss each other in this time and women would kiss each other, but it had nothing to do with anything wrong. It was a cultural thing. So what he's saying is he who gives the right answer or speaks wisdom or speak truth, it's like the being greeted by the kiss of a grandmother who loves you almost. That's what he's saying. It's good. Does everybody understand that? Um, now, verse 27, I want to slow down again. He says something that we really got to pay attention to. He says, prepare your outside work. Make it fit for yourself in the field and afterward build your house. What in the world is he getting at? The NIV says, put your outdoor work in order and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. King James, prepare thy work without and make it fit for thyself in the field. And afterwards, build your house and just give you a couple of different flavors. This is an agrarian society, Israel. In Israel, um, the outside work was important. The outside work represented Income and livelihood. The fields were the source of income, source of food, and source of clothes. In the field, it, the vineyard was producing the grape by which they would make uh, wine. The olive uh, groves were producing olives by which they, they, they would have their oil. They had, the wheat was producing their, their, their grain by which they would have bread. And the, and the, the sheep, uh, you know, both both food as well as clothing and so forth and so on and on and on and on. So when you begin to think about it, it begins to make sense. In other words, he's saying, hey, make sure that your income is stable. You can apply it this way. Don't focus on building the house when you ain't got no income or livelihood because what good is a house when you can't eat? You got a nice house, but you can't keep it warm and you can't eat. What good is that? He's actually trying to it's, I mean, Solomon is just wisely making us really focus on what am I doing? Here's what it says in another way. Um, kind of don't get ahead of yourself. Some of us say it this way. Maybe your parent says, don't put the cart before the horse. Y'all ever hear that? Because if you put the cart before the horse, then you got a cart that you can't pull home. You went, man, that's a nice cart. I'm going to buy that cart. Yeah, but you ain't got no horse. 
What you going to tell the dude? Hey, man, I'm going to pay you for this cart, and when I get a horse, I'm going to come back and get it. That don't make sense. You got a nice car, but you can't afford the gas. You can't afford the maintenance, so it's now it's on blocks in the front yard. I think what he's trying to do is cause us to, to pause for a moment and prioritize as we live. I see this all the time. People, they get a great idea and they go quit their job for this great idea that might work out, but then it doesn't work out. But because they didn't prepare their fields, now they have nothing. Don't leave the, the sure thing that you have for something that is not sure Try this something that's not sure out on the side while you maintain that which is sure until that which is not sure actually pans out. Then maybe you can make a transition. Does that make sense? But people like to get ahead of themselves, you know. And I see this in a lot of areas, you know. And, and today in society, a lot of the young people, they don't want to work. They want to work their own way, tell you when they're going to work how long they're going to work, all that kind of stuff. And maybe it's because, you know, they, they see these adult people working from home now because the world has gone that way, and, but they don't realize that how much was put into being able to actually work at home. You know, if your company trusts you to work at home, it's because there's a track record built, maybe a degree that was earned. There's some stuff that's happening for the most part, right? But everybody want to, you know, and, and it, they're not understanding that there's a level of diligence that is required before those things can happen. And what Solomon is really getting at is that there's a lot of work that goes into building a foundation and prioritizing what's important before you do other things. A couple of weeks ago, I um, was coming back from Georgia from a pastor's conference down there and, a, and another pastor and I were riding together. And so we got back to Clayton and he wanted to see the new building. So I took him over and we walked in, I opened the door to show him the new building. I was kind of, I was just talking, this is, we're gonna do this here and this is what's gonna happen. And I, he, said, he looked and he said, wow, he said, so this is what 16 years produces? I looked at him. And it was funny. I kind of I understood what he meant because he's just starting out. So then yesterday I'm down in Lynchburg and I, I walk into the, I, walk, I drive up on the, the parking lot. They bought this whole apartment. This whole uh, shopping center is owned by the church now. They, Big Lots is their tenant. They can't wait for Big Lots to move out because they need more space. So they built this 800-seat sanctuary and they've got all this stuff. And, and I walked in. I was like, wow, this is what 30 years produces? <laughs> I did the same thing because that pastor's been there for 30 years. But what, what actually is being said is, wait, for, for 16 years, Pastor Kevin, the guy, yes, you've been teaching the word of God and, and just faithfully teaching. And so now we're doing this. But see, here's the, the thing I get for some guys. I've had guys give me like the whole blueprint, man. They give me their portfolio, man. This is what we're going to do. This is the vision. They got... They got the website design. They got the, 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 the um, logo for the church. They done printed up the cards. And I'm like, man, you're doing all this, but you ain't got no people. <laughs> you done put the cart before the horse. That's not church. You're going to launch a church and all this kind of stuff and send out the stuff on social media and everybody going to show up. Yeah, if 100 people show up, you still ain't got no church. What do, you, what do you mean? The foundation of the church is a group of people sitting around studying the Bible together and praying together. And praying for one another and learning to walk through life together. That's the foundation. What's the foundation of this church? 20 people in a room with Bibles. That, that's the foundation. And then God adds, oh, 30 now. Oh, now it's 60. 
Oh, now we're doing Sunday mornings. Oh, now it's 120. Now this is going on and that's going on. And it, but it's a foundation that takes place before anything major happens. But often we want, we want the grandiose stuff that we see the world talking about. And we're not willing to put the work in. You know, that's how people think sometimes. Solomon said, man, you're trying to have a house and you ain't even taking care of your fields. It's the fields that support the house, he's saying. And so there's a lot that you can begin to think about and take away from what Solomon is saying to apply in your own life. Hey, you, see, you think this marriage that this couple has looks so amazing and, and you just, we're going to do like them. But you didn't see how the fields were prepared. Man, they, man, they, they met each other. They became friends. They weren't sleeping with each other. They became friends and they got married and all this stuff and, and, and they put in work and, and what you see is the result of, of, of labor in the fields. You know, and these are things that we always have to pay attention to. Now I'll get back to this thought in, in verse 30. And so verse 28, he goes on to say, do not be witness against your neighbor without cause for would you deceive with your lips? You know, in other words, it's, you know, don't even speak about your neighbor. If there's no reason to at all, you don't want to be deceptive, nor do you want to be caught up in any, any gossip or any, any wrongdoing. You know, and so, so don't do that. He says in verse 29, do not say, I will do to, to them just as they did to me. I will render, render to the man according to his works. In other words, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So we don't, we the people of God are not seeking to, to pay vengeance. And it's very interesting we're not, um, if you look at, look at the language here, I will render to the man according to his works. Well, that's what God says, and we're not God. So as, as God's kids, we don't have the authority or the right, if you will, to return people evil for evil because that's what they've done. We haven't been called to that. We know that. We were actually called to pray for them and to love them. We're not even called to defend ourselves as God's kids. Did y'all know that? Because when we start trying to defend ourselves, we, we make ourselves look bad. You know, we make ourselves look like the people who are bringing accusations against us. We're called to trust God. And so that's what the Bible is saying. We've got to be careful with these things. Now, verse 30. I'm going to camp out for a few minutes. He says here, I went by the field of a lazy man. Solomon is kind of saying, it's almost as if he's saying, hey, I, I left the palace and went on a stroll. And I saw some things, you know, and it's the way the language kind of reads. And it, it could be a situation where, you know, Solomon had, you know, a thousand women in his household. So he maybe maybe he just needed to go for a walk, you know, and um, <laughs> he had too many. And he, he said, I just need to get out of the palace for a little while. That could be what it is. You know, remember, this is the same guy that wrote about the, the, the nagging or the dripping, the, the mouth like dripping, you know, or, or living on the rooftop as opposed to in the house. Um, he had too many wives, so he went through things, and because um, you're only supposed to have one. So he said, I went by the field of a lazy man on a stroll one day, I guess, and, and by the vineyard of a man devoid of understanding. And notice what it says. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. In other words, I went by this place. That at one point, he's, maybe he would even say it, it, this place was flourishing and beautiful at one point. There was some couple that had labored in the fields and they built a house. 
and they've gone on now to Abraham's bosom and left it to the kids and the kids don't want, they, 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 they just chilling out and they ain't doing nothing with it. And now it's just kind of torn down. Notice what he says. When I saw it, verse 32, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. Verse 32 is a golden verse. What it's saying is what Solomon is saying with his wisdom. I saw this and I, I stopped. I can see him in my mind just stopping and looking and saying, Lord, what is this all about? He's pondering it. He's talking to the Lord because what Solomon does is he observes things and he allows them to speak to him. Notice the language again. It says in verse 32, I looked on it and he received instruction. And sometimes we can be so busy to actually ponder things and talk to the Lord about things and receive instruction that way. We can learn from what we see. You can learn from other people's mistakes and not have to do those same mistakes yourself. You know that? That's why sometimes younger kids do better than older kids because younger kids see all the struggles of the older kids and they learn from them if they're wise. You know, I've seen that. <laughs> Man, I remember what mom and dad were, you know, what was going on, with my, you know, anyway. And so I learned from those things. And so this is what he's saying. I, I saw this, I pondered it, and I received instruction. What instruction did he receive? He gives it to us. Verse 33, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. He gives this vivid picture of a prowler whose arm coming in the middle of the night and, and robbing you. And you didn't even see it coming. He's saying that's how quick it comes, just like being lazy and laying down and doing nothing. Just like you did that, that's how quickly the poverty will come upon you. And so the Bible is speaking, the Proverbs is speaking very clearly to us about being diligent and being hard workers and taking care of the things, the foundational things. This is very important to us, and we need to consider it. And so no partiality. Nobody more important than anybody else in, in the body. Um, we all come in the same door, and we all uh, are part of the same congregation of people, and we need to, we need to assimilate into it in the sense of we, we need to check ourselves and our pride and say, Lord, Utilize me within the body of believers that I'm a part of. Help me to become a part of this family. That's important. And then remember that we, we, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves in anything. We want to lay a foundation. And one thing, you know, I talk to other pastors and, and whatnot, and we have conversations, and I say, you know what? When the church starts growing, it feels top-heavy. They're like, what do you mean? Well, what happens is new people come in. Um, and if we hadn't been careful to, 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 to shore up the foundation and broaden it a little bit, we're not doing well. We're top heavy. We don't have enough people who are serving to be able to absorb the new people who are coming in sometimes. And so what happens then is those who have been here for six months, a year, um, it's, it, you know, it's time for them to put their hands to the plow in some way um, so that we have enough people to be able to handle what's coming next. I asked Cresha, who's our children's ministry director, as we're going into the new building and all that, just walking through, looking at the classrooms and occupancy level and saying, if we make it to one service, how, how will you do? Do you have enough people? She said, yeah, if we, if we keep everybody we have at one service, we're going to be okay. But if we go to two in that size building, she said, we're going to be in trouble. <laughs> so I'm prepping you now. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, and that's with you as well in your personal life, you know, lay your foundation, 
sure it up, check it every now and then. You buy a house, when you see a house, you're thinking about buying, and um, hey, it's got it's cracks in the foundation. That's a concern. There's water around the foundation. The ground is seeking near the foundation. That's a concern for me. What's the, where's the water draining? Ah, it's draining towards the foundation. No, nah, I'm not going to buy that. I'll buy it once you dig it out and redo some draining and re, re, regrade your property and all this kind of stuff. And I make sure, you know, because these are things that you, you look at in your life. And so if you're going to take something on, Jesus even said that, you know, if a man's going to do a project, he's got to count his costs first. And I think a lot of people in the time we live in are speculating on uncertain things. Solomon's saying, no, be wise, be diligent, you know, prepare yourself. Even, even a congregation, we prepare ourselves. It's very interesting the things that go on. I was telling first service Friday morning. I woke up, and it's 5 a.m. I woke up out of my sleep, and um, I had a lady, an older lady from this congregation. Her face was in, and I was wide awake. So I guess that's kind of like a vision. And she's crying out in pain. And I, so I just began to pray. I and mean, I just went into one of those prayers. And then, you know, how... Then I woke up again, which means I must have fell asleep while I was praying the first time. <laughs> I woke up again. There's a young man in my, in my face this time. And I'm like, man, what's going on? So I'm praying for him and praying for him, you know. And, and um, I got a list of people I pray for in the mornings now this year. So later in the day, like the Lord kind of pressed upon me to make a phone call, call. call. And so I called a lady um, and I talked with her and she confirmed. I didn't, I didn't even tell her what happened. I just called her and said, hey, how you doing? What's going on? And she starts, and I could hear in her voice, I said, you in pain today? And she's like, yeah. And she's beginning to tell me what it was. And I'm like, man, Lord, you woke me up. See, here's the crazy thing. She was crying out to the Lord. The Lord woke me up to pray. Then I call her, to and then I told her the story of what happened after she told me she was in pain, which tells her that the Lord was listening to her cry and waking somebody else to be, be, be going through it with her. And I was just praising God. I'm like, Lord, give me some more of those. This will be a good ministry for me. You know, um, you know, I wake up, you know, by myself. So I'm talking to the Lord anyway. I'm like, well, Lord, give me, let me have this ministry. Put this, I want to see it happen again this week. I actually enjoyed it, being able to just, you know, pour my heart out for somebody else that's going through something. You know, um, and so this, that's church. That's foundational stuff. It's relationships, not some big monstrosity where people go and they don't even know each other. That's not actually church. When you read the New Testament, that's not the description of what's being described at all. And so foundational things are important. So you got to be a part of that by in, it just becoming part of family. That's how it happens, okay? And we're out of time now. So let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for allowing us to be here, Lord God. I pray that you would just continue to build us in essential things, Lord, that we would be able to to honor you with what you've called us to do in this life, individually and collectively. Lord, I pray that you would go before each individual, each family this week, Lord, preparing a safe path for us, Lord God, and calling us into a deeper walk with you. Lord, until we are able to gather together again, Lord, speak to us. Let there be a renewed and refreshed relationship with you for each individual, those who desire it. And while our heads about, just wave at the Lord. Say, yeah, I need that, Lord. I need, a, I need to be renewed in you. And Lord, I pray that you would do that work. Lord, that we would just walk closely with you until the day in which we stand before you and see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's sing.